Let's look at our passage tonight. Chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 17 through 20. He says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So not a, not a big passage tonight, but let's look at this a little bit closer. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, the first line that we come up to is the do not think part. So the first thing you're encountering is Jesus correcting some wrong view a wrong thinking concerning his coming. He could be stating his position on something so important to his audience, the law and the prophets. And this was something that, as they're going to be listening for him to teach on, what's he think about Moses? What's he think about Elijah and what was said by them? This was so sacred to the Jewish person, the law and the prophets. It was everything for them. It was their glory. It was something they, they took very much pride in because they were the ones that received God's word. It was all their history was bound up in these books. And so Jesus, what's he going to say about these things? What's he going to teach? Is he going to line up with what we've been talking about already? You know, these are the thought processes of, of kind of really bystanders, people that weren't necessarily his disciples, though his disciples could have these questions. It's okay for us as disciples to have questions about God's word and to not understand things. We pray and we ask for more understanding. We seek for more understanding. We talk to other believers to gain better understanding. It's okay that we do. But Jesus is from the get-go, going to correct this. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. He came to fulfill it, is what he says. This is his mission. So to abolish meant to destroy, and, and it has this picture of loosening down as of a house or a tent, or to dissolve or to undo. So you think of a tent, you erected it at some point, to abolish it or to, in stronger terms, would be to destroy or dissolve. But it, it carries with that, take it, tear it down. Just going to rip it down. Um, you're going to take a house and take a, a big old um, wrecking ball to it and tear it down. And we see that this, this is a similar word used, or the same word used in 2 Corinthians 5.1, where Paul is talking to the Corinthians, he says, for if we know that the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, there's the word, 
we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So it's just, it's kind of a violent thing. It's coming after something and you're going to rip it down. Um, Jewish teachers, uh, uh, one of the historical commentaries that I use, said that Jewish teachers said that one abolished the law by disobeying it. And you can find that in Deuteronomy uh, 27, 26, where it says, Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. So by doing, you confirmed something. And so uh, all the people sh- shall say, Amen. And so they agreed to that, that, that law or that statement. And um, by not doing it meant that they rejected its authority. So obedience recognizes authority. Disobedience does not recognize the authority. And by living by it, you're confirming the words. So Jesus says, I didn't come to do this. I didn't didn't come to tear down the law, but actually I I came here to complete it. And Jesus reaffirms the validity of the law. The law is good. It is right. And there is so much we could have dove in tonight about the law, as I read in Paul talking about it in Romans, and then you got Paul applying it to the Galatians. Uh, we're not going to deep dive into that. That'd be something we could definitely do. But uh, Jesus is speaking or teaching from the place also of the only human that could or will at this point fulfill the law. He's the only one. So he's speaking with authority. He's speaking about the validity of the law, but he's also speaking of a place of knowing what he came to do, knowing his mission. He could fulfill the law and the prophets because it was they that pointed to him. All the laws, all the prophets were always working towards Jesus. All all of them. He fulfilled the law by his obedience to it. He fulfilled the prophets in that he was the full revelation of God's word. Think about the prophets. They would speak as God had instructed them, as God prompted them and their, uh, to go out, and they would deliver a word, a message on behalf of God. But we have Christ in the flesh speaking and doing the will of God. And we have Jesus fulfilling the moral and the legal demands of the law and the prophets by fully obeying and teaching them in truth. So when the scribes and the Pharisees would teach things, we'll see this a little bit later, they could only, and it's the same with us in some regards, we're fallible humans, and we can speak with authority of God's word if we're just speaking God's word. But there's always an element that we could be messing up something else, right? So we have Jesus being able to teach them in truth. He was going to, he, he couldn't mess up. He wasn't going to mess He was going to fulfill all things that were, was required. But he also fulfilled the penalty of the law and the prophets for us through his death on the cross. See, the penalty of breaking the law was death. 
And it, or to find forgiveness, it required the death of an animal, a sacrifice. So in taking the penalty that was due to us on behalf of our sin, he fulfilled the law and its demands. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For Christ is the end of, law, of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end of the law for righteousness. You notice those specific words. The law for righteousness. The law was an instructor on how to maintain purity before God. But it also proved that no one could be pure before God. No one could remain right or righteous before God. That's why it had to include the elements of sacrifice because you're going to unintentionally sin, right? You're going to mess up. You're going to break God's law without even knowing it. That's the situation. That was one provision. And then you have those that intentionally broke God's law. And then you had the, the, the varying degrees of sacrifices depending on how, uh, how much of a leader you were in the kingdom uh, or in Israel's kingdom. If you were a priest or a king, it, it meant that your sin affected a lot more people. But this was, that law was for righteousness. To, and, and Christ, Jesus, he is the end of the law for righteousness. But now, this is the righteousness in the law. He wants us to live through it. He wants us to, to still hold it in regard and still do the things that are written in his word. But it's all in light of his teaching and in light of what he has done. And Jesus goes on to say here, he says, This one word, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus is, I just went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, if you don't mind me here. Jesus said a few times why he had come. I thought it was interesting. This is, you know, one of the first times in, in uh, Matthew that he makes the statement, I came or I come. In Matthew nine thirteen, we see that he did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Love that. It's interesting, you know, in light of our passage tonight, he's not coming to call those who think they have no need of him, that think that they're already accepted by God through their own acts of righteousness. But he came to call sinners. He came to call those who are, have missed the mark. Remember on Sunday, we talked about sinners and, and missing the mark. They have failed to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love their brothers as themselves. In Mark 1, uh, verse 38, it says he came to preach. His was a preaching ministry. And then we see one that's challenging for us, at least it is for me as I read it. Matthew 10, 34 through 35, it says, He did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So Jesus is going to disrupt relationships. And there's more to that, but that's what he said right there. And then another one here, Luke 
12:49 he did come to cast fire upon the earth so he has he's got he's got something that he's working towards something that's disruptive uh, disrupted to our own society to man's old plans to humanity's uh, way that they built up life John 6:38 he did he did come down from heaven not to do his own will but the will of him who sent him. So he's not acting alone, but he's acting on behalf of. In John eight forty two, it says that he proceeded forth and has come from God. Or he said, he proceeded forth and hath come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. That's pretty plain right there. He is on a mission from the Father. John 9, 38. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. So God is going to use, or Jesus is going, he came into this world to, to, um, attract the ones that were in need and to almost solidify those who did not have need. That makes sense. We got John 10, 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In John 12, 27, Jesus speaking about the cross said, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. He was wrestling with, you know, that mission, but he goes, I could, pr- I could pray and ask for you to take this away, but I came for this reason. John twelve forty six, he did come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. He came to bring light, to illuminate. John twelve forty seven. He did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And then last but not least, John 18, 37. We have this dialogue with Pilate right before Jesus is crucified. He says to Pilate, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So he came into the world to testify to the truth. But also, because he is a king. Jesus is coming. Multiple reasons. But one, we see salvation. We see him um, acting on behalf of the Father doing his will, and to save. And so when we see that his mission is, I have come to fulfill the law, that's all part of that. He is fulfilling the law. He is here to save by fulfilling the law because none of us could. So he's going to expand a little bit more on this mission in verse 18. 
It says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is accomplished. So Jesus is speaking authoritatively. He says, truly I say to you, the law will not be left undone. None of it. And he says, until heaven and earth pass away, and really, not the, he says, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law. And I want to draw your attention to that because it says it's talking about heaven and earth passing away. And we, I want, to, want us to understand this, that it, this implies a possibility but not a certainty. And um, it's kind of a figure of speech to say that a catastrophe could happen before the smallest of the law be left undone. So uh, it's a possibility, but it's, it's an exaggeration to, to make a point. Uh, so Luke records Jesus saying something very similar. He says, but it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. So he's saying it's easier for something so catastrophic to happen like that than the law to not be fulfilled, is what Jesus is saying. And when he means by not the smallest mark will be removed until it is accomplished, Jesus is referring to the Yod, or I'm not probably saying that right because I don't know Hebrew really, but it is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And it's not even necessarily a letter, but a mark. It's, it's like our, our comma or our period. And um, it's the smallest letter there. And the Jewish teachers use illustrations like this to point that the law was sacred and no one could regard any part as too small to be worth keeping. There's not one ounce, not one small letter that isn't worth keeping in the law. And Jesus says, this will happen. The smallest detail will be accomplished. Um, Bible commentator David Gutzig writes, he says, it is the assurance that Jesus himself fulfilled the law by his perfect obedience. It is the assurance that Jesus himself fulfills the law in us by his perfect obedience. We will look at Romans chapter 8. Verse three, it says, for what the law could not do, weak as though the, uh, as through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. See that? The requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. Not by us but in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So you get this picture. It's about the spirit working in us, not the flesh by us. I'm going to repeat that. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, not by us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Spirit lives within us. 
So we have Jesus doing this within us, and that is the power of the Christian. That is the power that people lack who are trying to obtain righteousness through obedience to a law. It's the same power that people lack when they say, I'm a good person, and that's what gets me to heaven. You know? It's the same. It's all within the self. It's all by themselves, by their merit, by their actions. But it doesn't, salvation doesn't occur unless it happens in us. And that fulfillment of the law within us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It is the assurance that God's plan will never be set aside until all things are fulfilled at the end of the age. Nothing, nothing is going to happen until God's word is completely full, fulfilled. And Jesus goes on to actually give a warning now in light of this. He goes, this will, the, the law will be fulfilled. And then he, he warns them, he says in verse 19, whoever then annuls one of these, the least of these commandments, so we're the tiniest mark, the least of the commandments, and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So that word annul, it's, a, it's figuratively of a law or institution uh, to loosen its obligation either to make void, to do away with, or to break, to violate. Now, James expounds on this for us in James 2, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery... But do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So the law isn't just picking and choosing what parts to follow. The law has to, it's a, it's a holistic thing. It has to be completely followed. And so, warning, a warning to anyone who annuls the smallest commandment and teaches others to do the same, Jesus is making a, a reference to the people of the day, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, who would annul one commandment to do another. And we have an example of this. It, it, they made a distinction as to the priority of one commandment over another. And uh, Jesus was actually asked this a couple of times, uh, on a couple of occasions, what the greatest commandment was. Why are they asking about the greatest commandment? They're all important. Uh, in Matthew twenty two thirty six, Jesus, or teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And then you got Mark twelve twenty eight. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that he had answered them well. He asked, what commandment is the foremost of all? So we even have an example of a scribe that was, you know, one of the religious teachers going to, really kind of question Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? 
there was, I mean, in one sense, there is no greatest commandment. They're all to be fulfilled. And I think that's why Jesus summarizes it the way it is. Because if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll fulfill the, the commandments. And if you love your brother as yourself, you will fulfill the commandments. So another time, Jesus calls out a Pharisee for making a distinction. He answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. That's the law. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father and mother. And by this, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And so these traditions were uh, the interpretation of the law uh, by the religious leaders in order to keep them from disobeying the law. But you start getting that far removed, you're violating laws by trying to uphold traditions. You, you can't do that. So... We see Jesus, we see this whole weight given to one law over the other. And Jesus will add to this. He says, but we, we see here that um, there is a blessing to the one who keeps the commandments and teaches others to do so. But if you notice here, Jesus puts the practice before the preaching. The teacher must apply the doctrine to himself before he is qualified to teach others. That doesn't put the spotlight on my heart, you know. Boom. I'm accountable to the Lord. The scribes and the Pharisees were men who say and do not do, Matthew 23, 3, who preach but do not perform. This is Christ's test of greatness. In Matthew 23, 3, it says, Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. Jesus really highlights the disparaging nature of the leaders and what they were teaching. Now, the Lord uses this word least twice in this verse. One, to describe not doing a commandment deemed least among others. And then Jesus uses the word to describe the person who does such things as least in the kingdom. You see, Jesus's point is that there is no such thing in either case. There is no least law in God's law, and there actually is no least person in the kingdom. See what he's saying? There is that person who does not follow the righteousness that God requires of the law? There is, they have to do it perfect or they don't get to heaven, right? If that's the law of righteousness that they're trying to obtain, there is only perfection that obtains, uh, that gets into the kingdom. Uh, he does this type of thing uh, in other places as well. And you can get, I could give you those scriptures as we're running out of time. But the person who does not do and teaches others will not be in the kingdom, just like there is no least commandment in the law. 
In James, he writes, remember I read this earlier, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So Jesus is really driving home to the point that there is no salvation by the law. Because what he's going to do is he's going to show what we had said earlier, that the law is about the motives of the heart. It actually is when it starts piercing the heart. The greatest, really, is just to contrast the least and, and to highlight those that hear God's word and they do it. And they actually will begin to, as they are active in doing God's word, they'll become teachers. They'll be able to exhort. So people will see the patterns of our lives and they'll go, why do you do that? You know, why do you have such peace during this difficult time? Then you have the opportunity to share well, I just am listening. God's word is telling me that I don't need to be anxious about these things or I don't need to, to strive for this type of a thing. But he, he, will, um, he will raise me up when it's time. I'm just wanting to be humble or I'm wanting to do what he has called me to do. Why do you let them treat you like that? Well, Jesus' word tells me to turn the other cheek. Jesus' word tells me to do this. And um, that's one of the elements that he'll begin to expound upon in, in referencing the law. But Jesus explains further in our last verse here, as we come in for a close, he goes, but I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what he's been going to. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom. Surpasses means to exceed or to overflow a river out of its banks. It's this, you have to be really over the top in comparison to these scribes and the Pharisees. Why? Because the, the scribes, they were the re, uh, regular teachers. These are the people that knew the word. And the scribes, the supreme experts in the law, especially, no doubt, the Pharisaic scribes, these people knew the Bible in and out. That's why they would question him most about the law. And then you had the Pharisees. These were the orthodox, orthodox pious, the separated ones. They, the Pharisees, Pharisees were the most respected religious people of the day. And so you have these emblems of piety and religiosity and and you look at them and you go, wow. It's like maybe like us looking at the, the monks or something like that. Maybe not our Western culture. But wow, they, they're able to just seclude themselves from all worldly desires and just spend the days praying and reading. And, you know, there's probably something that's, you know, uh, nice about that in some ways. But, you know, that if it's just done for people to see, then where is your real righteousness? It's not... There, uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 through 9, he says, now Paul was a Pharisee himself and talking about his, his testimony, he says that more than that, I count all things lost to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them 
but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's what Paul is saying. I am no longer seeking to be accepted by God according to the righteousness that can only be obtained through obedience to the law. But that which is through faith in Christ. And all of us, we, we have to come to God through Christ. And, and so Jesus, in saying that he is the fulfillment of these laws, means that he is going to do something that uh, no one else could ever have done. And it's going to be through him that we can actually obtain the righteousness from the law. Not by anything we have done, but everything that he has done. And so he's really, he's pointing the eyes further on him and his authority without, without canceling the law, right? He's not canceling it. He's showing it the importance of it. And I think that's where we don't want to ever get away like thinking, okay, the law is important. It has a lot to teach us about how we interact with people. You know, the law is about, you know, looking out for your neighbor. If you see his donkey fall in a pit, all right, you know, I'm not knock, walking a, I don't have, I don't own a donkey, you know. I, there's probably somebody I know that does, you know, but we live in North Carolina, for gosh, you know. <laughs> you know, um, in, but you see their donkey, something happened to them, something of their own, even if it's your enemy, God says, you need to go fish it out and you need to keep it till the next time you see him. You need to provide the food for it. You need to take care of it as if it was one of your own and return it. What does that tell you about? That tells you about your personal relationship with your neighbor and how you were to love even one that's your enemy. And Jesus is going to, to expound on some of these things. But we can read the law now in light of that, not because we're doing it to think, okay, I got to look out for the guy that's got the donkey in case it falls into the, you know what I mean, the, the ditch. I, I, I need to gain the wisdom and the instruction that I don't care who you are, enemy, friend, whatever, I need to treat you with the grace of God, that the same grace he's shown me and received me because of Jesus Christ. That's really what it, it comes to. I wasn't received on my own merit. I didn't earn my salvation, but Jesus saved me. And so I need to show that same kind of reception for somebody else. So the question we want to ponder as we close tonight is, what does this mean for us here at this church? What does this mean for us in our families? What does this mean for us in our workplaces? You know, um, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And it's through him that we have been received. It's through him that we have righteousness that comes from him through faith. I think it, it's some of what I just described, you know, and we'll dig deeper as we go through um, each of these laws. But that's what we want to keep in our mind, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And then as he goes on to expound on these Verse 21, we're going to start talking about personal relationships right off the bat. 
You have heard it said that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. Okay? But I say to you, anyone who is, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court of murder. So this, this is getting, this actually hits more closer to home than, than the surface value there. And so we'll save that for next week. We've run out of time. Let's pray. And um, we'll close with this song here. Father, we thank you for this evening. And um, thank you for your word. I just pray that as we continue to uh, go through your teaching, that, um, Lord, only the words that are yours, Lord, would just stick. Lord, that you would illuminate our, our hearts, Lord, as we study. Lord, as we um, go through this, your teachings, Lord, as we look next week, Lord, even at uh, the laws, Lord, our personal relationships, anger towards uh, uh, another, Lord, um, even lusting and, and uh, doing the right thing even to our enemy. Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, just prepare us for those teachings, Lord, that uh, as we meditate upon your word, Lord, that you would just give us instructions throughout the week, um, Lord, wisdom for the choices that we need to make, the choices that we have before us, Lord, and that um, you would just equip us to be, uh, in a greater way, your light, Lord, and, your, and the salt of this world until you return. Lord, we look forward to that day, and uh, we just ask that you would uh, bless the rest of this evening now in Jesus' name. Amen.